0: This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, would you give us that intro lick? I'm Dexter Sorensen. I look some stuff up on Wikipedia, listen to a podcast called HI101 about it, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Jerondel. David, hey, bud. Hey. Hey. It's part two. You don't even need to ask me this time.
1: What? Part two? What? <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's dive in. <laughs> Alan,
0: Alan Turing, part two. And I'm going to feel a little bit like Dan Carlin saying this. But this episode is part two. If you like context and the full picture to the story, I'd recommend going back and listening to part one. If you're the kind of person that doesn't feel like you need that context or have already listened to the part one, then we present to you Alan Turing part two. Nice. Right, so you did a little bit of his. Yeah, yeah I kind of tried to do his voice. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely tried. <laughs> God. So, when we left off, we just described the Enigma machine.
1: Also, by the way, anybody who doesn't know who Dan Carlin is, he does great podcasts. Well, he does one now, but he used to do two. They're both great. Listen to him.
0: Yeah. Hardcore history is the jumping end point.
1: Yeah. And that's the one he's listening there That's the one he's still doing. Yeah. He used to do Common Sense, which was more like social, um, political. Yeah. Sociopolitical stuff. Um, yeah. But like nothing has really changed. Hardcore history lot, so. is
0: like literally the best history you'll ever listen to each episode is like three hours long and sometimes they're in series so like there's a lot to listen to yeah like one of my favorites is the world
1: war one one and that that uh
0: he puts you into the history way into it you actually feel like you understand like the you the whole context
1: the whole picture he doesn't leave anything out
0: yeah and he does it so fun also he's from eugene Eugene P. O. Eugene podcast. Um, so yeah, Alan Turing part one. Yeah, two, two. <laughs> so when we left off, we just described the Enigma machine, which was the way the Nazis were encrypting their messages. And apparently, the Germans before the Nazis. Exactly, and it was kind of like a fancy typewriter with an array of lights, some rotors, and a plugboard that could be set to trillions of possible configurations. Yeah, 150
1: trillion. Yeah. Listen to Uh, part one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So one thing I forgot to talk about is that the Germans would promptly change the settings on their Enigma machine every night at midnight. I see. And we also mentioned briefly that the Polish people had been working on a way to break the Enigma code, and actually they were the first people to start breaking Enigma, and that was the Polish Cypher Bureau. Yeah, go Poland. Go woo Poland. Woo woo woo. And Representing. Because there was this French spy who got a hold of the key and the rotor. <laughs> hey, shut up, John. I'm part Polish.
1: And also, that's where I get my deep set eyes and my overall communist appearance. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> moving on. There is a French spy who got a hold of the key and the rotor positions for all of the September and October 1932 transmissions from the Germans. Oh, shit. Okay. And so he g- gave that information to the Poles. Okay. And then there had been, like, like we talked about, there had been a commercial version of the Enigma machine, but, and then the Germans had modified it. But it seems like none of the Allies and no Polish had ever got their hands on a commercial version even. Wow. It's yeah. What the hell? It's, it's weird.
1: That's what I wondered right away, like why would you adapt something that yeah. had been in such wide use into a military purpose? For That's code? what I like, thought too. Yeah, but no, damn. Okay. But yeah,
0: so even without ever getting their hands on the Enigma machine, the Polish Cipher Bureau started reverse engineering what an Enigma machine does. Okay. So they had the codes that were sent through those 2 months and they had the the settings sure sure and And they had
1: to work backwards just with that information so yeah
0: and they made this machine called the bomba cryptological oh not exactly pronounced like dude polish words are tough (laughs) yeah but it's uh polish for the cryptological bomb okay (laughs) i like that (laughs) and uh wait so polish for bomb is bomba yeah i love that is that right and uh, they found out that there was a key issue with the Enigma code machine, with the yeah Enigma machine code. Okay. A letter could never be coded to itself. That is um that is a huge. That's 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 huge. That's huge. Like you just yeah. figured
1: out the first thing about it. Really,
0: like yeah. you know, you know whatever else that that letter might be. It's, it's not, not itself. It's not itself. And so you can eliminate tons of possibilities right off the bat. Sure, sure. Because you're looking at this, reading, this, reading the, the output there that
1: without, without um, being able to run it if through a machine. Yeah. You're
0: reading the output, and you're like, well, we know what it doesn't say. Mm. And then another thing before the war the Germans were doing was they are sending what's called a checksum, where they would send a sequence of three letters repeated before each message. So they'd sit, send, send like A, B, C, A, B, C. Gotcha. Before okay. the message. And that was used to make sure the machines were calibrated correctly.
1: Okay. Makes sense. Yeah.
0: And so with the Polish bomba, you can run the encoded text through it, and it will run permutations of the rotary settings, and it can tell you if there are any contradictions, like whether a letter gets coded to itself. Interesting. And then you can quickly eliminate those settings. And then they also use the checksum. And so they were like relying on the checksum and the contradictions. Okay, and the machine. Wouldn't
1: say that I understand, but damn, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know if I understand too. Um, but then Poland was invaded in 1939, and they had limited access to resources, and they decided to share their information about Enigma in a Warsaw convention with France and England. Okay, sure. Actually,
1: in what's little little known, I'm just gonna shout out Poland for a minute here. After the Polish were essentially invaded, um, a lot of them actually fled Poland. The, the military, a lot of the mm. military um, that was able to get away fled Poland um, to join up with the French and British militaries yeah. so that they could fight, continue to fight another day, essentially. They weren't <laughs> yeah. willing to lay down their arms. They, it wasn't out of cowardice. No. no, they were like, live to fight another day, and fucking they were doing it, it right. They're yeah. like, let's keep fucking fighting these assholes.
0: Yep. And at that convention, they're like, they say to the French and the English, Here's Enigma, and here's what we know about it. Okay. And so the British, they're really interested in it, and that's when they create the GCNCS.
1: I see. That Okay, so it was only after.
0: Yeah. I see. I think so. I might be wrong about that. Okay. Um, but then Turing joined the GCNCS after returning from America. From
1: his stint in Princeton.
0: Yep. And he figured out real quick that there was a big flaw in the way the Polish Bomba was working. Okay. Because they were relying on that checksum in order to check the permutations. Sure. And he's like, they could stop doing that at any time. Oh. And he was exactly yeah. right. Like, they stopped doing the checksum in made 1940.
1: Because they realized that it was kind of a, a backdoor, like yeah, a flaw.
0: It, it was a flaw, and it wasn't necessary. If you can trust your Calibration. machine operators yeah. to have the right settings. Then you don't need to... Then why
1: broadcast the settings? Yeah. Right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the day after the UK declared war on Germany on the 4th of September, 1939, Allen reported to Bletchley Park, which was the wartime station of the Government Code and Cipher Bureau. Okay. The GCNCS. So then the English, and Allen specifically, made their own version of the Polish Bomba which they called the bomb okay. after sense. the Polish bomba, Sure. And it was built so they would work independently of those checksums. So what they used instead were, quote-unquote, cribs, which are expected outputs. So, like, they're things that are expected to be in the message at some point. Okay. Like, a lot of the messages would have the letters A-N-X, which meant onto, and then a space. Like, this message is for this person. I see. Or, so they're
1: broadcasting the message over the radio, and they're letting people know who it's for. Yeah. In, and, an, in an encrypted fashion. And then
0: that would be something that you can expect in some of the messages. I gotcha. Or some of them would have the phrase in German, nothing to report. I see. Or a healthy source of cribs was weather, weather reports. Oh, Because sure. they would re- use repeated or expected phrases. Sure. Um, so, yeah, they're able to plug that into the machine that Alan built, the bomb. Man, it was really overconfident of the Germans to
1: have repeated phrases and yeah. stuff like that. That's like exactly. a glaring
0: they fucking, user error. They just thought it was completely undecipherable. That's so overconfident because, like, if you didn't do that, then maybe it would have actually remained encrypted. And it took some more time and it took some more things to figure out, like... For um, Bletchley Park to figure out really how to decrypt the Enigma machine regularly, right? This is just the beginning. And then Alan was involved in Hut 8, which was specifically involved in decrypting the naval machines. Oh, okay. Enigma machines, which were the most difficult and the like, they were the best like trained to use it. I see. So they had less Like they said to work that with, they said the people in I think it was hut 6 were working on Air Force, the Air Force um transmissions and they were expected to have it broken by breakfast. Damn. <laughs> the yeah. messages for that day. For that day. Yeah. Right. Um but yeah, by the end of the war there was about 200 of these bombs built.
1: Damn. Okay, there are a lot of people working on this. Yeah,
0: and in and that, in essence, is how they were eventually able to reliably break Enigma, which
1: led to the successful conclusion of the war when it did. Like
0: if exactly. we hadn't broken Enigma, we. Some people say some people say that the war could have lasted two to four years longer. Oh yeah, definitely. At least, I mean, like millions so of people.
1: This was the most. Um, Intense and successful counter espionage program of all time. Of all time, yeah. Like we basically we flipped so many of their spies because of this and turned them into to allied spies, Um, and the Germans had no idea, no idea for the longest time what was going on. Ever, ever, ever. Oh my goodness! (laughs) (laughs) That's so fucking awesome.
0: (laughs) Seriously, like, damn, dude, they fucked them so hard on this. Seriously, like Alan's machine, the bomb had 112 rotating faces that could quickly go through the permutations for a given day's code. Okay. It's like a weird... You should check out a picture of... it's. On yeah, I have to. I can't really a picture... Um, but yeah, like you are saying, there's tons of specific examples of battles that were swayed by the information that were brought about by... Oh, yeah, and, by... and
1: Overlord never would have been uh, successful without it, because like, we were able to successfully feed them all sorts of counterintelligence about how... Like, we were buying skis and we were buying... Like, they had this whole dummy army up in Scotland where, like, literally it was a dummy army um, with all sorts of dummy But they had to know
0: where they were and, like, in order to... But what I'm I don't saying is that, like, so
1: so because we were able to decrypt this and find out who their agents were in the Allied intelligence circles, we were able to flip them and feed them counterintelligence. Oh yeah. So yeah. they okay. thought that it was equally likely that we were going to invo- invade Norway before we invaded yeah. France. And there's
0: like tons of different examples, like, of ways that they were using the breaking of Enigma to sway the war. Oh yeah. And it was. Uh, it was the, I forgot to mention the project was called ultra. Oh, yep. Yep. What was going on at Bletchley park was called ultra. Um, Not to be
1: confused with MK ultra.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's an American thing with <laughs> yeah, like very different with drugs. And spi- and yeah. S- Actually we'll do an episode on that someday.
1: And also, um, there was like a lot of, uh, they were really into, like, tapping into, like, psychic power. And shit. Yeah. And MK Ultra was uh, weird. It's
0: crazy bullshit. ESP, mm-hmm. telekinesis. Horrible. They
1: basically just did it because the Russians were doing it, and they were like, well, if they're doing it, we don't think this stuff is real, but we can't fall behind just in case it is. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to know what they know.
0: Yeah. Um. So an- another example of what was possible with the breaking of Enigma is that they managed to decode a 70,000-character-long explanation Of all of the defenses for what would be the D-Day invasion. Jesus. Yeah, it was like extremely detailed, like how far in between each for, like between each tank obstacle. Okay. And like how, like the distance between each pillbox. Dang. And like tons of shit like that. So they basically knew exactly what they were going into.
1: And it also helped that by this point in the war, uh, we had air superiority, the yeah. allies. Like, the Germans had had total air superiority throughout the the early years of the war, but then by this time, it had swayed. Yeah. mostly Partly because of American manufacturing.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: we we just pumped out, not necessarily the best stuff, but, like, we just pumped out a lot, a lot of, it.
0: of it. Yeah. And, uh, but they did have to be the british had to be really careful about how they use the information they acquired oh acquired sure otherwise you, you give up the goose yeah and exactly the game's gone they can, yeah um because like we said the german high command they always thought that enigma was not broken
1: right that's so, impressive in of itself so use the information so sparingly that you don't even let the enemy know that you know what they know like <laughs>
0: sometimes they just had to let boats be sink sure be sunk by u sure. boats otherwise it gets like, too suspicious yeah, like they had to have a plausible, like they had to show the Germans that they had a plausible reason to come across that information. Right. Like they, so sometimes they would send out reconnaissance ships to places in, before that they were planning. I see. Uh, so that they would have some other plausible way. Way of, of And if they that. didn't have that, they would just have to let their people, their own people die. sure. And sure. nobody, nobody, not even their commanders were privy to the information. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. The, these commanders didn't didn't realize they were leading their men into yeah. Yeah.
0: Like uh and that's really
1: sad, but I mean I, I hate this term and to the degree, but they were doing it for the greater good of the yeah. war effort.
0: Like uh and so sometimes like sometimes their own like commanders wouldn't even follow directions that were given to him because they're like that's bullshit. Why would I do that? Like there's this one story about this uh British commander who is told to uh keep bombing more and more German oil rigs and shit like that. Uh-huh. And he's like, I just spent like fucking weeks and weeks bombing oil rigs. Like there's more, there's shit that I should be doing. But he didn't know that the reason that he kept was kept supposed to be bombing oil rigs, was because they had intercepted messages that were like, "Shit, we're about out of oil. Like, uh-huh. this is spo- this is about to go downhill if we don't get more oil."
1: And that was a big deal, and that's part of the reason um, Germany started like, to push so point. hard yeah. to try and get to Russia's oil fields. Like they were pushing really hard on the Eastern Front to try and get those oil fields because theirs were fucked. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so plus, yeah. I think they
1: mostly had shale oil. Did they? Which is not great. No, I don't know the difference. Uh, you, it's basically you find it like in coal deposits, kind of, and it requires a lot more refining, mm. and you usually have to build engines that are capable of actually working on
0: shale oil. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Um, but Turing didn't actually spend the entire war at Bletchley Park. He actually ended up going to the United States in November 1942 to help us develop our own bomb program. Oh. Yeah. And actually there's a story about how when he arrived at Ellis Island, <laughs> um, he was actually because his security clearance was so high, nobody fucking knew who he was supposed to be. And so he was held there for like fifteen hours or some shit like oh, that. Oh,
1: Jesus. Until the proper authorities Until the proper authorities knew, like,
0: knew that he was there and was able to come and be like, No, he's cool. Okay. And so like shit, imagine like, through the regular people working there you're like who the what the hell is going on Yeah and so like a lot of people actually contribute that type of thing too with the like like a weird part of Alan Turing's story is the creation of new better ways to for allies to assist each other like after he was held there for such a long time they were like, okay, we need to figure out a way for uh, that not to be a problem anymore. I see. And then he was told while he went to America to help as much as possible, but not to give us Americans all that he knows. I see. You know, and like yeah, yeah. And so, like, they helped, it, like, help develop trust and a protocol between the allies, so that that wouldn't
1: that type of thing. We wouldn't be keeping secrets from people we couldn't afford to keep secrets from. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so like that's another thing that Alan Turing is responsible for. Damn. Um, and while he was in America, he started working on this project called uh, Delilah. Okay. And that was true radio encryption. That must be what that song is about. Hey there, Delilah. <laughs> 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 that's good. Um, so he was thinking, what would actually make it impossible for me to decrypt these messages? And because they're sending, they're just sending Morse code and then decrypting them afterwards. So he goes on proving it to military brass by sending a signal of recorded speech by Winston Churchill and then running it through a radio decryption machine. And it was coming out as actual audio. Wow. Yeah. I have no fucking idea how that works at all. Yeah. Damn. Um. But yeah, it just like without the decryption machine, it just sounded like radio static. Sure, sure. Or gibberish or something like that. Um, Big Latin. (laughs) Big Latin. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Undecipherable. (laughs) 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 Or indecipherable is the word, actually. Yeah, I know. I like to say undecipherable, though. (laughs) I don't know. It just rolls off my tongue better. Anyway, Delilah wasn't actually ready to be used before the war was over. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we're about to the end of the war. 1945, the war is over. And they had to decide what to do with Project Ultra. And they decided to keep it super classified because <laughs> the Germans never knew about it. And there was this idea about, like, they came about how World War I led to World War II. Like, the Germans were super fucking pissed about the Treaty of Versailles. And how they just got fucked, and they were thinking if the Germans figure out that we had like that we didn't only win because of military superiority, and we had like Uh, these tricks up our sleeve, maybe they would like they'll try again, (laughs) they'll fucking try again, yeah. Um, (laughs) So yeah, they they never figured it out, and they actually after the war um, sold Enigma codes to other countries who kept using it.
1: Whoa, really? Yeah.
0: And so the British could just continue to oh my listen goodness. to yeah. other people's been... communications like for years and years after These the war. These poor
1: client countries had no idea that they were being sold a totally defective system that just allowed the previous allied nations to just look at whatever they were talking about.
0: <laughs> yep. Damn. So the British decided to disband disband ULTRA. And they destroyed almost all the equipment, and the rest was taken to a secret location. Okay. Like, they kept about 50 bombs, and all the documentation was destroyed. I see. And because it was so secretive and kept under wraps, a lot of the people who worked for Ultra, like, really had no job history to speak of.
1: (gasps) Oh, shit. And, like, they had nothing to put on
0: their resumes. Yeah. But, like, Alan did better than most of them because he was a published academic already. But, man, that sucks for those people. (laughs) Right? Like, Like, and actually, like... No medals, no nothing, not even a job after you're done. Not even a job. Like, and I heard, like, about 75% of the people who worked on Ultra were women. Okay. Because, yeah,
1: like we talked about before, computers. Yeah.
0: And... uh, That's in part one. That's in part one. Um, But Alan was actually given an OBE, which is an order of the British Empire in 1951 which is basically like one step below knighthood okay but it is totally unspecified why
1: Uh, (laughs) ah
0: you're just given one
1: they're like here you go um why you
0: got this for your good looks and charm like while he was i heard somebody say on one of the podcasts i listened to that while he was working at bletchley park this like coffee shop he would go to The woman who owned it would, like, give him tons of shit all the time that he, like, wasn't helping the war effort. And, like, there's all these other young men off, like, like, putting their lives down. And, And like... Little did she know. Little did she know. He was actually, like, responsible for fucking... Winning it. Winning it. Yeah. Yeah. small contribution <laughs> small very <laughs> small <laughs> so yeah after after all that shit he gets a job at the national physical laboratory developing something called ace which is an automatic computing engine and he has a bunch of ideas but he can't explain how he knows it'll work
1: okay because ACE, he can't automatic computing engine i yeah, like that yeah it
0: sounds good a lot of a lot of acronyms aren't great he wants a zib <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot of acronyms aren't great, but I think that one's pretty good. And uh, his bosses are like, Well, we don't really believe you. And he's like, You just got to trust me. And they're like, But this is costing a lot of money. And he's oh, like, Oh, yeah, that's a. He's like, Yeah, no, this will work. I know it'll work. And Ace actually can't run until 1950. So it takes five years to get up and running. Oh, shit. That's a lot of trust. Mm hmm. And around this time too, he's working with a former colleague who he went to university with named Gigi Champerdown. GG Champ. DG Champerdown. DG Champerdown. I love that name. That's awesome. That's a fucking awesome name. Champerdown. Um, and they were working on a theoretical program for a chess computer, which no computers could run it yet. Okay. No computers could run chess yet? (laughs) No computers could run the program that they wrote. Oh, damn. (laughs) Because they didn't have the memory for it or whatever. That's insane. Okay, Um, so they
1: were writing programs that were like ahead of their time. Yeah. That's nuts.
0: And even this this early on, the ability to play chess was a marker for how quote-unquote smart a computer was. Okay. And so he would test the program out, Alan, by running it out by hand. He would sit there and calculate his way through the program, and each move would take about a half an hour for him. Whoa. Yeah. And it lost against a lot of people, but it managed to beat Chamberdown's wife, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, much later, when they were able to implement it in a regular computer, um, Gary Kasparov played 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 their program. Really? Yeah. And he took a chance at it and described it as running a recognizable game of chess. That's pretty like high applause pretty, for back then. Yeah. Damn, dude, but that's like, crazy that's that he was, like, crazy. doing it back
1: then. And then, like, way later
0: on... Gary Kasparov. Most of us who, probably
1: know, like, Kasparov from... Losing to Deep losing Blue. Losing
0: to Deep Blue, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I'm Well, and, like, also, I just barely listened to this podcast called American Innovations, and they had a series about AI. And it really focused heavily on chess. Okay. Because that has always been a marker for how intelligent a computer is.
1: Right. Now it's Go.
0: Now it's now it's Go, but now Go has been beaten uh I can't remember what it was for uh, I what the think computer it was, name was called that beat the Go it was Um
1: Go Prime or something like that.
0: Um but go go yeah anyway the Go champion was recently beaten. Recently I say, but I think it was like a couple years ago. Yeah. He um, quit he well yeah that generally happens
1: yeah he quit after he was beaten um
0: oh he quit playing Go yeah
1: whoa I mean at a competitive level yeah he quit God. because um
0: well the first time the ver- first like time. he he
1: just realized now that anything humans have to add to Go it doesn't matter it's it's like basically what he figured out is like Go is now in the hands of machines and like humans will never do anything important never discover or anything more important in Go because like the the strategies the computer was using against him he had never seen before. Oh really? And didn't realize that those were strategies in the game. That's crazy. No one had Go has been around for thousands of years. Yeah. It's one of the oldest games
0: still but played even, today. Even in that even that uh, series American Innovations I was listening to about Gary Kasparov when he lost against Deep Blue, he was super pissed, and he was like, "IBM fucked this up," and blah blah blah. And he was pissed, and he didn't really talk about it for like three years. Yeah, yeah. Um, But now he's more like, "No, that was gonna happen," and. Uh, but there was a move. I think it was called like, it w- there was a move like move twenty three or something in one of the thing in one of the games, where. It just like kind of blew his mind, like, like it looked like him a dumb and move. no one else had seen it.
1: Yeah, essentially, him and like no, no, one no, al- no human had ever conceived of this.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's kind of nuts. And w- but the, the implications but still, of this but are kind still, of. Another, sorry, another thing I want to talk about, like, because um, you mentioned how Go had been around for so long. Uh huh. Um, he was talking about how when he played uh ibm's earlier version of deep blue he was like yeah it was playing like a uh, 1970s version of chess i see like, I see. he was like, like it, hadn't, uh, it hadn't it hadn't gotten to the, the modern like, it, ideas yeah. like so like chess was always growing like chess was always growing and it's the same thing with it's go. the same thing with go too but until now now computers like exponentially get faster
1: yeah and the only the only way you're going to see new go games now is computers versus
0: computers Yep. yeah but maybe you can learn from it
1: and that's actually how that's so like part of the reason they trained that uh, i forget what it's called it wasn't go prime but it was something ar- along those lines but it wasn't go pro <laughs> <laughs> um but the way they trained it partly is just by making it play against past masters games. Oh yeah. They just recorded games and made it play hundreds of games a day and it learned hundreds of games a second. Probably maybe, maybe. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So now here's where we get to the Turing test. And I talked about how we're not going to talk about it that much, but it was in 19 also in 1950 that Alan wrote his paper computing machinery and intelligence and that's where he came w- came up with what he called the imitation game, and what okay. is now called the Turing test. Although there are some differences between the imitation game and the standard Turing test today. I see. Um, like his was more about like an actual imitation game, which was like a show or something where you try to guess who's a man and who's a woman. Okay. Um, Wait, who's a man and who's a woman, or uh, like the interrogator is trying to guess? Between who they're talking to, who's oh. a man and who's a woman. Okay. And so the computer takes one of their places, and you're trying to determine who's a man and who's a woman. Okay. Um, but anyway, we're gonna save the Turing test for a later episode about AI.
1: But we should briefly mention that it is it is basically at its at its root, it is basically um, a way to determine the intelligence of a machine of a, yeah. by um, testing putting Whether, a human up a, putting a human let's say uh, in a conversation for lack of a better term in a conversation in a text conversation is what yes. he was
0: talking about and then if the computer can reliably convince you that it is a human then it has to a degree intelligence according to alan turing right um, because he was saying like he also talked about that after his paper when he said he said, what is intelligence? That's kind of vague. So I propose to change that question and offer it with a different question. Can a human convince us it's human? Can a computer convince us it's human? Right. And if so, then it's thinking in a different way than humans, sure. But how can we say it doesn't really have intelligence?
1: Right, right. And and I think it's really important, too, because, like, for instance, from my perspective, from a moral perspective... Um, as soon as a machine can properly imitate a human, like as soon as it can perform a Turing test face to face in a room with me, then can I do don't the care. Test. I don't care IKEA what test. is actually going on inside its quote unquote head. I am going to treat it with all of the moral respect that I give to another human because I don't know. Yeah. I don't know at that point. Well, Not that I don't know that it's human. I don't know how intelligent it is yeah. because it is able to imitate a human. And so at that point, how do you know if how much like of it is of imitation stuff,
0: like, and how much of it is real? Like there's that uh, like, there's that Google program that will call and make reservations for you. Have you heard that? No. Like there's a – I can't remember what it's called, but there's this Google program that you can tell it your name and – where you want to make a like haircut reservation where you want to have your car fixed and it will call that place and the it will act like you're a secretary or something. And the voice it uses uses like human like pauses and is like, um, let me see. And, oh, it's just like the robocalls we get these days. But there's it's so much better. Like it uses like human syntax and like wrong grammar sometimes.
1: Oh jeez. And like <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, like, we're getting there. We're fucking getting there. But that's, like, uh, so it's not... The point not, is, be polite to machines. That's a, it's, what's it called? It's not a, it's a specific AI. It's not a general AI. Um, yeah, AI gets thrown around a lot these days. But you could think of, like, if you come up with a thousand different specific AIs, and then you come up with... Uh, AI master that knows when to implement each of those specific yeah. AIs, then you can have a a general intelligence sure. machine. Sure. And it's
1: kind of a crude general intelligence in a way, but aren't we just deciding which impulses to favor and which to deny? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're in a sense also running programs in that way.
0: Yep. So yeah, that's what we got about. I, I th- let's... You you agree now we can move on? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, Um, so in the late 1950s, or in, sorry, in late 1950 or in 1951, he started losing interest in computation, and he started working on mathematical biology. Holy shit. (laughs) So he published a paper titled The Chemical Basis of Morphogenesis.
1: Don't know what that means. Um,
0: (laughs) Basically looked at how catalytic reactions on a molecular level, can result in recognizable patterns like stripes and spots. Holy shit! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What the (laughs) hell? What the motherfuck, Alan Turing? So
1: if this guy had, if if he had not met his end the way he did, like, who knows what he would have contributed to the field of biology. Exactly. Through math. Through math. And I feel like most biologists, I shouldn't say that because I don't know personally, but I don't feel like like math is often talked about except in like population studies and yeah, stuff like that.
0: Exactly. It's fucking crazy. In
1: biology, I mean, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he was talking about like math within catalytic like like He's talking about math at the molecular in an organic molecular, molecular model. Yeah.
1: That's insane. It's fucking like, nuts. When, because that's actually how, how can you, you make... really understand the world. Once we have a mathematical model for the brain, all bets are yeah.
0: off. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's Pretty much what he was working on, which brings us to our last... That's what he was working on when we get to our last part. Gotcha. His death and his prosecution for homosexuality. Gotcha. Um, Because in January of 1952, he started a relationship with a man named Arnold Murray. Okay. And Murray was 19 years old and unemployed, and they had met each other outside of a Regal Cinema... (laughs) <laughs> when Alan was, like, walking by, and Alan, like, it was right before Christmas, and Alan invited him for lunch. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of cute, actually. And Murray stayed over a couple times at Alan's, and after each time, Alan noticed, like, some money was missing from his wallet. Uh. And he asked Arnold about it, but he denied having taken it. And then, on January 23rd, Turing's house was burgled. And Arnold told him he thinks he knows who did the burglary. Hmm. And Alan reported the crime to the police. Mm-hmm. Well, in the course of the investigation, Alan, Alan acknowledged to the police that he had a sexual relationship with Murray. Yeah. And then it's like fucking stupid and, and time passed, you know. But homosexual acts were illegal at the time and they were both charged with What's called gross indecency.
1: Yeah, because they were indecent in the privacy of their own fucking home. Yeah. God.
0: It's fucking ridiculous.
1: I mean, on so many levels.
0: (laughs) (laughs) God. Yeah, it's infuriating, honestly. It is. It is. Not just
1: because we were deprived of a genius, but just because, like, this being done to anyone is disgusting. Not
0: only because it happened to Alan Turing, the, like, probably one of the smartest, like, Fucking geniuses ever. Like, honestly, I think of all time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he has, has to be one of the best, one of the greatest geniuses of all time. Minds no doubt. of all time. And, yeah, this happened to him. He gets he gets his house burgled, and their first instinct is, okay, but you're fucking a man. Yep. There was a real crime
1: that happened, and instead of following that up, and they he, got themselves concerned with what he was doing in the
0: bedroom. Yeah. And it was only a month later they were put on trial. You know what? You
1: know what? Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm devolving myself to their perspective for a second. I just want to point that out. Okay. So, like, from their perspective, um, Alan was a, a pervert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's like, the real perverted thing? To, to, to follow your own heart or to be so overly concerned with what other people are doing sexually— That you make laws, and, like, you know what I mean? These are two consenting adults. Like, uh, whose fucking business is it?
0: prosecute victims.
1: Yes. Like, that's so perverted. To even give a shit is perverted, in my mind. Like, why are you thinking about what other people...
0: They go even further than that, too, as you know.
1: Why are you so fucking concerned with legislating what people do in
0: their own bedroom? Well, um... Fuck! I think it was like in 1852 they added the gross indecency law and they added it onto a law which may not surprise you based on arguments against homosexuality even in her own day that was about protecting children.
1: Yeah, actually I saw a woman in in Utah is being prosecuted right now because she was topless in her own house. What? And her stepchildren saw her topless and then um, eventually their mother found out their biological mother found out about it and um alerted the authorities and she's being prosecuted the ACLU is defending her but there's a chance she'll go to jail for being topless in her own fucking house also her and her husband were putting up drywall they were both topless and she's being
0: prosecuted wow fucking wow um so yeah like he was Alan Turing was put on trial Um, his brother and his lawyer told him that he should just enter a guilty plea, um, and just get, get it over with quickly. He did. And he was given two choices. Either he was to go to prison or he was to be put on probation under the condition that he would undergo chemical castration.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's, that's what it was.
0: That's what it was called at the time.
1: Yeah. Um, it's fucking disgusting, horrific act. Yeah, was, the, the, that's that's what's disgusting about it, too, that's, is that's to commit to 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 prosecute people for something that is not a crime and does not hurt anyone in any fashion. And then to do something so criminal.
0: Yeah. To I those people, to God, Because because uh, we haven't even talked about what chemical castration is to, yet. to
1: remove people's right to reproduce in that fashion. Yeah, is disgusting. Well, what
0: they would do is uh, like he would have to take regular injections of estrogen. Um, and that rendered in him impotent and caused breasts to form on him. So basically he was going through a forced transition. Yeah, he which was, is yeah. really fucked up. Like it's not fucked up to go through transition if you want to be who you want to be, but they were forcing they him were forcing it on to him. be somebody he didn't want to be. Yep. <sighs> Sorry, yeah, I'm uh, this kind of gets me a little heated. Yeah, no fucking um, kidding. Like just
1: fuck, dude. You, yeah, man, what a fucking shame on the entire
0: nation. Yeah,
1: what a fucking shame on Western Especially civilization. Especially after
0: he fucking saved your entire country's ass,
1: and Western civilization's and ass, Western
0: civilization's ass. Yeah. Um. Well, and then after his conviction, he was deemed a felon because sure. he was yep. a felon. Um. And so he lost all of his security clearance and couldn't work. Leave the country, and he couldn't work for the government and it seems like he would be really depressed about that especially considering what's coming up in the story mhm but a lot of people at the time who knew him noted how little they found it affected him in his general demeanor his mood and things like that but outwardly. Know, outwardly that's what they were able to see think. outwardly maybe he was just really good at hiding his emotions um and then on june 8th 1854 19 yeah 1954, Alan was found dead in his room by his housekeeper. And his death was ruled a suicide. Because they they, they found a half-eaten apple next to his bed. Hmm. But even though his death was ruled a suicide, there are three different versions of the story of his death because there are lack of evidence surrounding each story. Okay. So we'll talk about the first one first. Damn, dude, this shit makes me want to cry. That's so uh, fucking fucked. It is fucking fucked. I like, know. I don't know a better way to put it than this it's is fucking fucked. This is a more a sadder ending than, or honestly, yeah, this ending is just as sad as the Dolphin House, yeah. experiment episode, or even more sad, in my opinion. That was pretty fucking
1: sad. What happened yeah. to those dolphins? And I don't want to be. I know this isn't what the word specious means. Specious reasoning is a totally different thing. Yeah. But I don't want to be specious in the sense that, like, just because it happened to dolphins, that means it's not. But I, I do care a great deal for humans. Yeah. And I understand humans more than I understand dolphins. Yeah. And
0: uh, Jesus
1: fucking Christ, this so, is sad.
0: So here's the here's the three things that people think could have happened. Okay. The first one is that it was actually a suicide, and the half-eaten apple was laced with cyanide. Okay, because he was well known to have really liked the movie Snow White, and he had a specific fascination with the scene where the witch dips the her app, where the witch dips the apple in the poisonous brew. I see. And of course, the version of the, this version of the story holds that he would have been distraught and humiliated after his conviction of gross indecency.
1: But we don't know for sure what he was feeling or thinking exactly. at the time, actually.
0: And like his lack of meaningful work with the government. But at the time he was actually still working on biology shit at right. the college. Like even after his conviction, he was still working on biology shit. I see. Um, so the story is that story is he poisoned himself with a cyanide-laced apple. And honestly, I don't know. It just seems it seems like somebody created that story and loves it because it makes him flamboyantly gay. Like oh, loving I see what you're saying. loving Snow White so much that that's how he would decide to take his life, right? And it um, kind of has like the. It could have been that, like yeah, I it, it can. But I get what you're saying that it has like a very
1: narrative feel to it. Yeah,
0: and I don't think that being gay was what defined him. Oh, certainly not. No, it was <laughs> yeah. it was one part of a whole human.
1: Exactly. It was like, his sexuality. It's not. It doesn't define the
0: person. No. Uh, like yeah. Um, so number two, his death was accidental. And in the spare room of Alan's house, they found a gold electroplating machine for electroplating spoons with gold. I see. And in order to electroplate gold, you dissolve the gold in potassium cyanide. Oh. So maybe he was electroplating spoons and inhaled too much cyanide, which does actually put off a vapor.
1: Okay. So Uh, we're fairly sure that
0: it was cyanide? I don't know that.
1: Oh, okay. I don't know that. I see. It just keeps coming up, so I yeah.
0: um, So Or maybe he poorly stored the cyanide. Because um, the apple was actually never tested for cyanide. Mm. And no suicide note was ever found. I see. Okay. In fact, there was a to- to-do list that was found for the next day when he got back to the office. Oh. Working on the biology shit.
1: Yeah, that's not usually what you would... Think yeah. of if somebody intended to take their life. And
0: then he was well-known to eat an apple before bed, and he regularly didn't finish the apple. I don't know how they knew that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, he regularly didn't finish the whole thing. His housekeeper would clean it up. Um, and then there was this theory. This is just a side note. There was this theory for a long time that the Apple logo from Apple computers was an homage to Turing. Huh. But that's not true, because at one point, Steve Jobs said that he wished they'd been that clever about creating the logo. Oh, I see. Yeah. But, you know, maybe maybe actually he did commit suicide, and that electroplating machine and the to-do list were just left behind so not to worry his mother. And she always believed that it was an accidental death.
1: Right, right. As you, I mean, as you would want. Want to. Because it's just because of thinking about your child being in that much pain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. It's, that's, I think that's and the real reason you'd want to think of it as an accident, you know, is because you don't want to think that somebody you loved that much was in that much pain.
0: Well, and so, like, you know, maybe it was an accidental death, or maybe it was made to look like an accidental death by him in order to soothe his mother. Sure. Um, and then number three is the government killed his ass.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, that seems kind of conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's
0: conspiracy theorists are going to conspiracy theorize. Like,
1: what, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, what would even There's be the no, motive?
0: Well, there is a motive. Okay, okay. Because um, he pretty much knew literally the most sensitive government secrets that there were.
1: Right, but I feel like and why wouldn't you have done it earlier?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The government was specifically worried about gay men having access to classified information because they believed gay men could be blackmailed. But he had already, been, he'd already, been, he'd already been convicted in the worst fucking way. In the worst fucking way. Like, he's going to be like, yeah, I have a judge's statement right here that says I'm gay. And, and besides, he told really, a police officer
1: flat out that he was yeah, gay.
0: I've never really been hiding this, actually, that much. He had even been... Um, this is the one thing that I kind of forgot to talk about. He had been engaged to a woman, Jane... At Bletchley Park for a very short amount of time, and he ended up telling her that no, this isn't going to work out. I'm gay, and I can't ever love you like that. I see. I can't. So maybe he
1: a... actually did love her deeply. Uh, yeah, they
0: had, but... they had a they. She was she worked with him in Hut Eight. Okay. And so she wasn't just like one of the women being a computer quote unquote crunching numbers or whatever. She was in the cipher program i see and, and 75 so percent. Were,
1: you said 75 percent were
0: women yeah and so yeah i mean there's no reason to suppose so that
1: just that their only contribution them, was as computers no, no like exactly. the, yeah
0: they, they were doing really important work yeah yeah exactly and uh so yeah he ends up telling her that he they have to call off their engagement because he's not sexually into women and apparently she was like no we can still do it like who cares we're really into each other we care for each other he's like no nah, i don't really think you understand like and it was probably pretty fucking hard
1: yeah probably because yeah. it sounds like he actually did really love her deeply yeah um but just you know he's Couldn't. gay yeah, yeah
0: he's fucking yeah um well and then so back to the government conspiracy <laughs> shit um Like, they didn't even declassify Project Ultra until 1974. Whoa. Yeah. 20 years
1: after he passed away.
0: And there are two papers by Turing on his work on Enigma that weren't published until 2012. Jeez! Because the information contained in them was deemed so sensitive. I wonder if that's why that movie came out so recently. Yeah, right? Um, God, that movie was... I liked it because I watched it before I did much of this. Most of this research, but there was a lot of shit in there that just kind of, uh, kind of irked me. Yeah, bit.
1: I don't. Uh, I don't like the creative liberties that Hollywood takes with history because no. I just think, honestly, that the true the stories best, are the best stories. That
0: was the best fucking story you could have even come up with. Yeah, and like, so the true story, like why fuck with gold? Why fuck with it? Yeah, right. like that was a great fucking story already. Like it was narratively gold.
1: Yeah, so I don't, um, I, sometimes it seems like they take creative liberties just to, you know what I mean? Just for the, just to take creative liberties and not yeah. for any actual real function.
0: So, yeah, I think I will, I think I can say that I definitely don't think the government killed them. Um, I kind of honestly, like, call me somewhat of a conspiracy theorist, but I kind of think that it could have been ac- more likely an accidental death. Or I to believe I in a that. Way, I'd like to believe that myself. Way, yeah, too. in a way I would say one would hope, you know what I, I mean? Would, I'd like to believe that myself. But, you know, could have easily been could have easily been a suicide too, and God knows that it was fucked up what happened to him and
1: what was done to him.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's a much better way to Other
1: put people it. did this. Yeah. It wasn't just like a series of bad bad
0: occurrences. Yep. I didn't want to say unfortunate events, which is almost what came out of my mouth. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, he was actually officially posthumously pardoned of gross indecency by the Queen in August 2014 after a series of petitions gathered thousands of signatures and, and there was some government bills about it and shit.
1: Huh. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, yeah, way too little, way too late.
0: But um, there was also, it was like... Too late, but not for everybody. I'll get into it. On January 31st, 2017, the pardon was extended to all men who were ever cautioned or convicted under the law.
1: Oh. and In,
0: sorry, in what year? Um, 2017. Damn, that was fucking recent. Fucking recent. Why is this shit? Like, and this why is- Why did they wait that long? Well, yeah, and also this is why, like- They called it the Alan Turing Law.
1: I feel like sometimes I'm living in the past- you know what I mean? I read a lot of sci-fi. Yeah. I'm way into futurism. I feel like I'm living in the past all the time. And this is partly why. It's because there's no disconnect with history. Like, there's no, no disconnect. It's a linear line. It's a linear linear series of events. And so, like, yeah, we're still dealing with the ramifications of all of this shit. And that's yeah. partly
0: why society isn't changing faster. And we have to fucking... We have to work at that shit. Yeah. Ha- yeah. We have to. And it was only because those... Thirty-four thousand people on each of the signatures, and like people pressing their government to actually make a change, even after Alan Turing's pardon. Pardon, sorry, that something even happened to affect the forty-nine thousand other men, and many of those men were still alive because gross indecency was still a crime in the UK until the late sixties. Jesus. So, like, some of the people, like, actually were pardoned while they were still alive. And that's cool, but they shouldn't have been fucking prosecuted. In the right, first place. right. Obviously, like,
1: yeah. It was basically just admitting to a fucking awful mistake. It was admitting gross indecency on the part of the government.
0: You know what? Fucking a. That is, God. Ugh. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, pretty much what I got about Alan Turing. It's fucking crazy how much of a genius he was, and how much of a an effect he had on all of our lives. And the fucking shit that was done to him, like you said, yeah, um, like pretty much. If you ever use a computer or a phone, which you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you owe a thanks to Alan Turing. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, we all owe him a lot.
0: Not to mention his war contributions. Yep. And yeah, I kind of, I really, really loved looking into this, into Alan Turing. It was nice to have another week too looking to do the research for it because I kind of dove into it. He's kind of the most fascinating person. I would really recommend checking out the machines that he was working on and their apps that you can, their apps for the Enigma machine, like where you can send encrypted messages and change the rotor settings and shit like that. And uh, yeah, just like Alan Turing was like, honestly, kind of my favorite modern person.
1: Yeah, and probably had more of an impact on modern-day life than any other single individual. That I can think of. Yeah.
0: Of course, yeah. But yeah, you got anything else about Alan Turing? Uh, no, I learned a lot. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, so yeah, that is it for this episode. Dexplanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo, social media by Monet Moran my trusted co-host over there, David Gerondale. I want to thank all our patrons on Patreon. Alexis, Amanda, Ben, Betty, Kevin, Derek, Emily, Hannah, Linda, Nick, Susan, Tanner, Tori, and Trevor. And our only tattoo patron ever is Brittany. Thanks, y'all. We really appreciate it, and your support really helps the show. If you, too, want to support the show, unless you're the ones who are already listening, they already support. Anyway, go to patreon.com slash Tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode or leave a review on iTunes. All these hu- things help a lot because we're trying to get more exposure and we really appreciate you for the support. Likely, we got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at explanationspodcast at gmail.com, tweet me at Dexplanations or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you really inspire me to be a better person. Bye now.